Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. This week you will hear part two of Jan's story. Listen as Jan continues to take us on her journey. Jan tells us what it was like after losing her son for her and her family and how she has used her experience to help others. Somehow Jan has managed to turn her grief into support for so many people. Jan is truly a remarkable woman, so please join us. We left the hospital at six in the morning and the town was just waking up and I just felt that there ought to be some big sign over us that you know, because everything looks so normal. And we were leaving the hospital with with nothing. We we left with a leaflet, um, a leaflet from the hospital and a leaflet that said post-mortem explained. Um, and I can remember just thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know. We got home. I think the worst part of it all was knowing that um, my friend was uh, here with our son. He was asleep. And um, and that when he woke, we'd have to tell him. So the last he'd known was that actually Joe was very poorly, and that you know the doctors were doing everything that they could. Um, and I can remember just my friend going and just sort of lying down and just waiting for him to wake. Um, and we told him. That must have been really difficult, really hard. Oh, Jan. It was, uh, yeah, I think that was the hardest of all of it. Was, um, yeah, he screamed. Oh. It was so awful. And I remember being really um, just angry, I think, really, too, that... um, it just angry with God. I think I'd always had a faith, brought up with a faith, um, but I had a, a long time when my faith really kind of deserted me. Um, yeah. And I think because we'd we'd tried for so long, and we'd given up, and then so to have him was such a like a gift. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, that time we had was precious, but there was also that part that went, this is like a sick joke. Why would you give him and then take him away again? What, what's that about? Um, you know, and you've hurt my other son as well, and you've, you know, all of this. But but we had my fam- a lot of my family are in Ireland, so people came over very quickly and um, I went back and saw him and brought my um, my friend Sue, actually, who'd been amazing all the way through because I was down a grandparent. So at the time when he was still alive, um, you could only have immediate family or, or grandparents. And I'd said, well, listen, my mum is dead. And um, I want, so we had Sue put down as a grandparent even though she's younger than me um, and uh so she'd 
you know, she got to meet him several times as well, and that was really important. Um, but we arranged his funeral, and um, on the night he died as well, the priest at the church um, that I used to go to, uh, we called him and he came out, at, you know, just after two in the morning and blessed him. Um, so although I was really angry, it's funny, isn't it? Because actually I still really wanted those things done. So there's that kind of funny mix up. But um, but yeah, we did. We had the funeral and people were lovely and people. I live in a village, people that I didn't know in the village who for ages had kept stopping my husband and then me when I was home. How's he doing? You know, how's it going? The word went round quite quickly, thankfully, but still the odd person hadn't heard and it, that was difficult. But it, it also was amazing how many people that I knew, particularly older ones who, who came and who then told their story of loss. And, and I think nobody knew they'd never spoken of it. So um, that kind of reinforced for me. People were very lovely and as you know yourself sometimes <clears throat> not always the people that you expect are the loveliest you know so some some family and friends <clears throat> didn't know how what to say or do or how to help um some friends kind of distanced themselves not because they were horrible people although maybe at the time I thought they were horrible people um if I'm really honest <laughs> but actually just they had no idea what to do or say um, they were terrified they'd make it worse by saying something awkward or whatever not realizing maybe that actually <clears throat> there was nothing worse yeah but they um but people also show themselves, I think, at their most incredible as well. So there were people that I would never have anticipated who were fabulous, you know, and and maybe some that I thought would kind of be there who couldn't. And um, and that's just how it is, really, I guess. But, um, yeah, there was a – it was a, a weird time. I think there's that part, isn't there, while the while – the, funeral arrangements are going on you have a focus while yeah. you're organizing things you have a focus you know my family had come over from Ireland I'd family um but then obviously they have to go back and the world goes back to normal and people return to work and um yeah it was he he died at the beginning of November um and um He'd been due at Christmas um, and I can remember thinking I can't even contemplate going back to work or facing the world really until after, you know, Christmas is, is over. Um, yeah. There were some quite strange things too. I remember my mother-in-law, who bless her, she's long died since, and she was a lovely lady, but she hadn't one clue of kind of what it was that we were going through and um you know and I remember her just being very prosaic about it all the day of his funeral I do remember her saying listen we have to go because one of Dave's sisters had had a baby that year as well my niece and uh you like we're going to have to go soon you know because um 
you know she's she's feeding and um you know we can't stay any longer because actually she needs to get home for the baby and and I can remember thinking absolutely you know of course practically yes is that something you want to say to to a mum who's you know just literally buried a child Um, maybe not but um to somebody else (laughs) I remember, bless her, she was, she was, I mean, don't get me wrong, she was, she had a big heart and she was a lovely lady, but she, she just, yeah, I remember I was, I mean, I have been super blessed and I often think, I wonder if Joe paved the way for that, but I went on to have two more children and, um, but I remember when my next, my rainbow, my first rainbow baby was born, uh, a daughter, um, I remember her holding um, my daughter for the first time and uh, they were all born early and they all had their own little stories. But anyway, um, but I remember her just looking at her and looking at me and going, are you happy now? You've got your two. And it's like, no, because there should be three, you know, but she didn't mean it with any yeah there was no kind of malice in her in any way she'd have been horrified but um yeah it was she just she didn't get it she didn't get it from me anyway no well I think that it's one of those things isn't it you don't really get it unless it unless you go through it experience similar things it's really it's it's almost impossible to imagine it yeah yeah. lots of people think they're saying the right things but yeah not always you cannot replace a baby you're just extending your family so you was on number three not number two number three absolutely (laughs) but um yeah it's so funny isn't it things that you sort of think back on but yeah it was and then I was on a mission really you know I just felt that we'd been I'd been so lucky when when Joe had died, and I, I've spoken to so many and supported so many people through the years, and, you know, for some people, the thought of another pregnancy is just too terrifying to contemplate. For some people, they know almost straight away that they're going to try again, and they, they you know, and that's with no disloyalty at all to the baby that's died, and they know they can't ever replace that child, um, but that they're yearning to to also bring a baby home um i we made a decision that we would try kind of about six months later <clears throat> the, the decision was much more on me than because i think my husband had always said listen this is you know this has to be your choice you know that it would be lovely but equally you know yeah. But I I can remember thinking that I was knocking on a bit at that point and um, I didn't want to, although I was terrified, I also didn't think it would happen because we'd had, we tried yeah. so hard and never fallen pregnant. I wanted to try because I, I can remember thinking, if we don't try, I don't want to look back in a couple of years' time and think, why didn't we? You know, that that would be the regret. If we tried and it didn't happen, well, then I think I was kind of, I thought that's how it would be, really. But but six months later, we tried and fell pregnant. So um, so it all happened quite quickly. And then when she was born, 
I still held this idea that it had been so hard to find support, you know, when, when Joe was born. I didn't know anybody who'd had an experience like that. Um, I had contacted National Sands um, and spoken to somebody on the helpline there, um, but there wasn't anything locally. There had been some years before, I think 10 years before, but um, but nothing. And so I was then on a mission to go, it isn't okay that people should be isolated at like, you know, the hardest time in their lives. And, you know, yeah. And I think back, I must've been a complete pain actually, because I was just like, no, this is not okay. Like what if people can't ask for help? What if they're, you know, and I just had pictures of every time I saw or heard about, you know, a, a death of a, of a young one, you had a kind of mental picture of, I can maybe glimpse a little bit in my mind what's happening in that home. Yeah, yeah. And it, and yeah, so so that's when I contacted Sands properly and, and uh, had got, you know, got to meet somebody else as well and we together said look let's just go for this and so we we set up um we leafleted every gp in the area um we uh, we bombarded the hospitals um yeah and and we started to get and national itself then started to give the number out and um so you know um, make contact and you know met some incredible couples and always more mums than dads who kind of took up support but but always a number of dads in the mix too um because i'd i had cruise training and stuff anyway um sorry jan what is cruise training for anyone listening oh sorry so cruise is um so cruise are bereavement volunteers uh, for any bereavement um but they um <clears throat> i think they do work with children as well nationally but it's there's it is a national organization so there's branches all over the place um and um at the, they, they'll often offer um like drop-in coffee chat kind of things um they but they also did uh, bereavement at the time they used to call it bereavement counselling and then years later they had to say we're not counsellors it's bereavement support um but they offered sort of six sessions um and um and i i used to volunteer um but i didn't want and i wanted people to not just have the sans peer-to-peer connection and the support we were offering we i was doing a lot of one-to-one calls and home visits and stuff which was all allowed at the time sounds have changed their policies through the years as to what their befrienders are, are able to do um but i wanted people to have access to crews as well so i persuaded the local branch that actually the monthly groups that i was running at the time 
um, could they please um, send me um, a counsellor because I couldn't wear two hats in the group. It was like, could they send somebody in um, so that people had access and they could kind of have a little look and see what it might be like to talk to, to them as well. So we had this little um, this crossover as well so people could refer in. Um, Jan, while you're doing this, how old was your daughter? <laughs> um, so... I, she was a baby when I was starting. Um, she was, um, I think Sam's at the time, you had to be a minimum of a year following a loss. But also, obviously, if you were pregnant again at the time, you had to have come through that pregnancy as well because you're not in a headspace to offer to other people because mm. you you're doing too much for you on your own. Um, so she was small. The groups were evening groups. You know, she be in bed or whatever the calls and things I would do as I you know as I could I would take numbers and call people back um and um you know we'd do remembrance services and you know whatever really that just felt was the need at the time I then went on and had my son as well so what's the gap between them two two years ten months um wow and um yeah, that's amazing anyone that's listening just painting the picture obviously having two <laughs> tiny babies basically and doing all of this as well it's and crazy. went back to college because I that's when I did my counseling training as well and it was just I'd worked it round the children so that kind of you know I could focus on them but actually when you know small children sleep a lot as well don't they so the reality is I could study and do stuff as as well and because my it was yeah I was on a mission and I kind of felt I'd been so blessed to have you know maybe help you know friendly people and and help but there'd also been gaps as well and and I just felt you know what if you didn't have that what if you hadn't got a family that you could talk to what if you know um so yeah it was I was definitely on a mission yeah I think in those early days as well if I'm really honest and I and I think it's probably the case for a lot of people when they're maybe um offering support following maybe an experience that they themselves have had I think in those very early times it was for me yeah, but yeah, yeah. much as and you know, and I have spoken <clears throat> sort of through the years to people that you know I did support in those early days, and <clears throat> they experienced it as support. But yeah, I think there is a I needed, I needed to do something. I needed to feel that I was doing something for him. I needed to, um, yeah, it was, but yeah. When I look back, I don't think I could see it at the time. It was very much about, no, this is about nobody should go through this. And there was definitely, a, that was a big part of it. But I don't think what I what I also realised was actually I was, you know, I wasn't really looking at my own stuff. I was, because I was too focused on other people's stuff. Um, and it was only really as I got further into sort of counselling training and had to have counseling that I actually kind of properly looked at my own um and then felt more much more comfortable that you know whatever I was doing was about them not me um 
But, yeah. I think you're right, though. I think we're all we're all guilty of it. I definitely am. There's a an element here that what me doing this podcast is a selfish element. You know, for it's in a way therapy for me, and it's getting you know, my son's name out there and helping his legacy live on. So, yeah, and that's important too, isn't it? It's um, I was. I always think back to she and she probably remembers me as well, this poor lady who when I'd had my daughter, so my next child after Joe had died, um, she was very small. I remember being in a supermarket and she was in her little bucket seat in a in the trolley. And my older son was somewhere close by, all of us with red hair. My hair isn't red anymore, but it, we all had really red hair. Um and I remember this old lady coming up and being drawn to the baby, obviously, the way like puppies and kittens and babies yeah. came over. And she was like, oh, look, how lovely. Like, is she your first? And then she sort of glanced up and she could clearly see the red-haired boy who is the spitting image of me um, close by. And she went, oh, no, second. And I went, well, actually, third. And I think at the time I, I still felt, particularly when my daughter was born, it was too easy for the world to forget that there was a, another child. And so I wanted the world to acknowledge, I think. And I can remember just saying to, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that in the in the time, but that was my general kind of thing. Um, and I remember just saying to her very offhand, you know, um, well, actually, no, third. And she sort of did a little look around, like, where's the other one? And I said, oh, actually, you know, sadly, my second son um, died when he was just very tiny. And of course, this poor lady didn't know where to put herself. You know, she was mortified that she'd asked and she was apologizing. I just felt for and I was like, listen, you didn't know at all. It's absolutely fine, you know, what blah blah blah. And I kind of rescued her. And then afterwards, like with my trolley and finishing with thinking, what on earth are you doing? You know, that poor lady, she's never gonna ask anybody. <laughs> Um, but you know, did you need to do that? Like, um, but then I know that if I some at that point, if I hadn't, I think because my daughter was so little as well, and so much focus was on her that I felt really protective over Joe. You know, don't forget him. You know, he he's here. He's part of my family too. Um, but so it was one of those. If you didn't mention then you felt guilty that somehow you hadn't acknowledged as well. But then if you did mention, you know, that poor other person kind of got. I know. It's that awkward moment, isn't it? Like, what do you do? And you always end up consoling the other person at the end of it because they always feel awful. But I think it's important. It, I, for me, it's, I mean, it depends on how they ask the question. But if it's how many kids have you had, it'll always be four. No, I'll never, never miss them out. But then you do have to then go on. You do find that you have to go on to explain, don't you? I kind of I guess you get more practiced at it don't you as time goes on you know you get you get used to rescuing people but you also I think get used to you know if somebody says how many I'll say four and then people don't always go on to the next bit so you don't have to say anything more and then if they do then I'll say well you know eeny meeny miny and you know sadly you know Joe died um but I think there's something about awareness raising as well that I kind of think is important too, you know, that it does touch so many people. Um, and, uh, you know, and it is important that people recognise that 
you know, that it happens, not to frighten them, but to, to just kind of be maybe a little bit gentle with, with people. You know, sadly, it's one of those things, isn't it? If you're stood at a bus stop, what do strangers do? They talk about the weather and they say, oh, do you have, do you have children? You know, and it's without ever realising that maybe sometimes that's, you know, that's just salt in an open wound, isn't it? And Or that people hesitate. They don't just suddenly reply because actually in their mind, they're frantically trying to work out what how, how to answer that. It, it, it is. I always think um, after Zion, I always look at people and think, what's your story? You never know. I always remember walking around at B&M. That was my first trip out of the house, I think. I went to B&M. And I must have... Um, I don't know if I knocked my trolley into this lady or if I was just taking too long to go past because she was waiting for me to go past. And she made a comment as I walked past, said, oh, oh, thank you then, or something like that. And I remember looking at her thinking, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going for right now. And I'm sorry if I have upset you, but you are literally the least of my worries right now. The fact that I'm even in the shop walking around with my eyes open. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. yeah, so um, so I always look at people now and think, I wonder what your story is. And I'm always trying to be a bit sensitive just in case. I think it does sometimes change. I think bereavement in itself reprioritizes people. I think suddenly you kind of look at what maybe used to be important and or things that would you'd get stressed over or whatever. And then suddenly this huge thing happens. The birth of your children is a huge event in your life. But the death of a child is a huge event. And I think sometimes then you look around and you think, Do you know what, I don't that, you know, that's petty and I don't I don't even need to think about it because actually in the scheme of things it you know is meaningless really like you with that that lady um sometimes for some people I think it makes them more tolerant maybe of others because there's that little bit that goes I wonder what's going on for you um perhaps at home and um and for other people they'll say actually it makes me less tolerant because you know I'm just you know what are they talking about um yeah, I, 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 I've experienced all of them. I'm, I can be less patient with some people, more patient with, more probably more patient with strangers. To be honest oh. with, you. Um, but I do remember coming home from the hospital and sat with with my daughters, and at that point they could have burnt the house down, and it wouldn't have mattered. They wouldn't have got told off. I wouldn't have cared. I was like, I don't care. I'm just happy. I'm just happy to have you here. You can do whatever you want. Like, don't worry about cleaning your room. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. I honestly, don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. It just, it changes, doesn't it? As time went on then, I, so I was doing lots of local sand stuff um, and with the hospital and they just built a new maternity hospital and um, at the time they didn't want, um, uh, uh, because I was pushing like for sands at the time that there be a dedicated room and at the time it was built, they didn't, that's not what they wanted. Um, it is what happened eventually, but it took it took quite a long time. Um, I, I had then worked, I was working part-time um, as a counsellor and a group worker for in, with adults with um, drug and alcohol um, issues um, as my 
part-time day job, if you like. But then I, I started working then on SANS National Helpline. And I did that for several years. So just I did two or three shifts a week, basically. I think there were six of us around the, you know, around the UK that they just diverted the number. And again, then, <clears throat> you know, offering support to parents, to grandparents, to professionals. Um, and that was, but you know, that was a really important part of my life as well. I did, on a local level, I can remember thinking, I need to stop doing the groups and what I need somebody. But every time somebody would come along um, and we'd be thinking, actually, this is, you know, this person's going to take it on and run with it. Um, they would fall pregnant again or they'd move away or whatever. So I I think I I kept the groups running longer than I'd ever kind of anticipated. And it was literally only when I said, I am going to stop on such and such a date that then people came forward. Um, and I think that's just the nature of, of group. They didn't want you to leave, yeah, you too good. Yeah, so, well, no, I think just people didn't have <laughs> responsibility of it. Um, but, you know, and then they've gone from strength to strength, which has been, which has been wonderful. And I had, was I already? I was already volunteering for, for Chums at the time with bereaved children. Um, and then um, became employed by Chums, gave up my other jobs and, and did that full time. And then, like I say, about 12 years ago, then when the baby lost service, um, when it it was forming, it was like, okay, I'll take, I'll, I'll take that on. Because actually, again, it's that, we'd identified that there was this huge gap and people just weren't getting anything. And it was like, no, that's not okay. Um, and so, and so we began. So we do, um, well, you know, we do a lot of, um, sometimes that kind of initial crisis calls and, and, you know, how to break the news to children and, um, just you know things around funerals or um, whatever that is. Sometimes we're supporting people who, you know, baby's still alive, um, but they know that baby's going to die, and so our supports from then. Um, individual, so we do a lot of one-to-one -one work, a lot of couples work, phone, virtual, but we go out to people's homes all the time as well, um, and that what we found was. It, it, we just go with the flow really of what suits each individual because actually there isn't a one size yeah. that fits everybody there just isn't so sometimes it might be that we're doing some one-to-one -one or couples work early on and then it might be that you know we run a, a a snowdrop group a support group for bereaved parents once a month sometimes then people want the group they don't feel they need any individual or couple stuff um some people won't ever do groups because that's just not for them. Um, but we run a snowdrop group, so the support group for parents once a month. We have a monthly group, uh, sunrise and sunset group, which is for people who've um, experienced the death of a baby from a multiple pregnancy, so perhaps one of twins or triplets. Mm -hmm. So they, they've got that kind of, you know, they have surviving children. Um, but also they're grieving 
for a child that's died. So, um, so we have that as a separate group. We have a dad's group um, that meets bi-monthly at the moment, and um, what else we, and a rainbow group, yeah, months, yeah, monthly, as you know, um, for people who are expecting again, so a subsequent pregnancy, which is often an anxious time, um, and um, or that they've had their rainbow baby, and again, it's they're able to sort of sometimes just talk to others and um sometimes it's about offering support to others that peer-to-peer sometimes it's having wobbles and needing a bit of support as well but knowing that you're in an environment where maybe people understand (laughs) well it it happens doesn't it human beings we we don't stay on a nice neat level do we it's it's kind of up down and all over but but so very often we'll we'll have people, like I say, we have new referrals, but actually we always have quite a number that we might be supporting because it may be that we've done work and then, you know, 10 months later, you know, we've maybe tried to help with their returning to work or their, um, you know, through funerals, through Mother's Days and Father's Days and birthdays and Christmas, Um but it may well be then that they're pregnant again and support through that next pregnancy. And so they're actually sometimes in service with us for, for quite some time. And then we run two event days then each year. So there's a summer event, which is a kind of just to celebrate the little lives that, you know, these these very special little people, um, you know, have left a, an impact on the world. And so for families to come together and do something as a memory activity. So we did it as a picnic in the park um, last summer and um, had 40 odd people who came and we painted pebbles and made a heart. And um, yeah, it was just nice to get people together. And then we have a snowdrop remembrance service um, in December every year. Um, where we, again, at a time that's just really tough for people sometimes, that's that real sentimental time of year and family time. Um, so we do something that's very much about remembering um, those little ones that have died. We put their names on baubles on the tree and um, people send poems and read poems. And, yeah. it, is, it is really nice. And it's, um, I think, when you've got... Other, other surviving children as well it can be quite difficult sometimes at that time of year to give the right balance to where you put your thoughts if that makes any sense but um because you you obviously you, you focus on your surviving children it's Christmas but you don't want to forget about your baby your angel babies even you're fighting with that guilt aren't you and, and having the snowdrop remembrance day is really nice because that dedicates that day specifically for your angel babies and you don't feel guilty about it. You mm. you know, the rest of the family joins in with that and so you're all focused. So it just makes it special, I think, and it makes that, not that I don't know, like they, I'd, I'd like to think that they feel special that we were dedicating that day to them. Yeah, definitely. And I have had people, you know, parents, bereaved parents come to say, actually, do you know what, I can we can do Christmas now for the rest, for the other children. But actually this one is, you know, this is this special time that's just for them um, and um, and that that kind of feels important too. 
And it's, I think sometimes it's, it's kind of seeing where the gaps are, aren't they? It's a bit like our dad's groups, you know, sometimes dads will say to each other things that they would never say if their partner was with them because they're, they're being a caring, attentive partner, perhaps, or they don't want to worry or upset or um, whereas actually they can they can speak very openly um, to others. We do support some grandparents as well. So not not very often, but sometimes if there's a, a grandparent who's really struggling, um, you know, we'll we'll we can offer support there, too. And and children, siblings, sometimes if they're really struggling, we refer them into our children's service so that they um, have an opportunity for support. A lot of the families either don't have other children, you know, it's perhaps their first baby that died, or if they do, the children are quite young. Um, so, you know, maybe not even school age. So sometimes then we're, we're kind of giving guidance and advice to parents or to nurseries or, or whatever about, you know, how to best help. Um, but uh, we do what we can. We, we're, we um, like I say, it's the, I feel for our fundraisers, I think they always have a really tough job because for the services that they have to support. But um, I think this last year has probably been the worst ever. Um, so, yeah, it, there's always a little bit of anxiety. But, um, you know, and it's always a real sadness, too, that you think not just for the baby loss service, but so many services are run on people's generosity, yeah. you know, time, volunteering, you know, fundraising, you know, baking cakes and climbing, you know, gosh, I, I've just been sent the um, our charity, our fundraiser, um, the list of events that are coming up. And it's, you know, where they're hoping that people will sign up to do skydives and Snowden at night and all these weird and wonderful things. And you think actually, but it is only by people signing up to do those things that the services run. And, you know, and that's hundreds of different services, you know, supporting people in all sorts of diff different areas, all of which are vital, but but all of which are in the voluntary sector. You know, it's know. so, it's can we say that's sad sometimes you think because we really need these services. So anyone that's listening, how can they donate or how can they find out about these fundraisers and things and get involved? Gosh, um, the website, you know, Chums Charity, um, so they will have all the information. There's a Chums Charity Facebook page, fundraising Facebook page. Um, you can contact um, Sue Clark at Chums, as, as simple as that, really, um, or, or, or just have a little look for us on, on Facebook. But, yeah, if you're, if you're somebody who's ever, you know, if, if it, speaks to your heart and there's something that you think actually you could do that would help us it all goes into to supporting families um it um yeah i'm trying to think they had some weird things they'd um you could wing walk you know where they kind of attach you very firmly to the wings of like a biplane i think and go up and oh, really? i mean there's just and obviously things like running and walks and um, clubs. 
<laughs> some, of the, some of them are mad. They're like um, very exotic trips, you know, overseas as well, but real challenges as well. So I think, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I think it is people that um, maybe have a passion or it speaks to them personally, that actually that they can round up friends and family to, to support something like that. And I think often people like to do it in the name of, that little one that's died, you know, so they kind of dedicate it. It's a tribute to, um, which I think is always very special. It is. And then they're contributing to an amazing service because, I mean, it really is an amazing service. I've I've been, I've experienced quite a few different therapists over the last couple of years and no one has been able to support me in the way that Chons did. So, so thank you. You do amazing and keep doing what you're doing, Jan. Oh, you know, well... Thank you. It's lovely to hear it. And um, and thank you for doing what you're doing as well, because I think actually that reaches a whole, you know, other layer of people who perhaps might never come forward themselves for support, but who gain support by listening and hearing people like yourself. So, yeah, no, you keep doing what you're doing, too. Thanks. I hope so. I hope that's the, this is for the secret listeners. Secret listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Right, Jan, thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed hearing your story today. So thank you so much for coming on to do that. Thank you. No, thank you for listening.